0: Everyone's saying, well, that's in the past, you should leave it alone, still references history. As far as I know the Canadian context, they still reference treaties, they still reference the history of how Canada was established. They require me to go into the past. What they don't want is to talk about a past that they were not comfortable with. So you can't have both.
1: Today is a very exciting day with Journey With Care. With me in studio in this hot and sunny day yeah. in the 1964 Shasta, here we are. You've brought Atlanta to Winnipeg. Yay! <laughs> Gabriel Graves, welcome to the podcast.
0: Wow, it's a privilege being here.
1: Yeah, it's so good. We, we've we met a couple times now, haven't we? Yep. Tell me, what brings you to Canada?
0: Well, the reason that I'm here currently is because of the Nates Conference, North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies, and I... Um, I actually got uh, invited to come back to connect with some leaders who are actually out of the country. They themselves are indigenous um, from Australia, and they were going to be at the Nates conference. And I felt led to come up here and just connect with different ministers who have a heart for uh, not just Jesus, but helping First Nations, uh, Native American communities understand the gospel and be able to fully be themselves. And I love coming with people where I could be myself. And so that's part of my biggest reason being here.
1: Well, and that's one of the things that Care Impact has enjoyed about you and my conversations with you. You come, your full authentic self, and I've learned so much from you, from your story. And I'm just wondering uh, if we can go there. Talk about your story. And have you always known about yourself in this way? Or has it been a journey of discovery of who your authentic self is? Tell me a little bit about that journey as far back as you want to
0: go. Sure, sure. I think the only way to do justice to that would be to talk about the people that came before me real quickly. I myself have parents from two very different sides of the street. My mother, was her name is Paula Graves. She was born and raised in Panama along with my aunts and uncles, the country of Panama. And our roots from there are from Barbados and Jamaica, because we had family members that came to work on the Panama Canal Zone when it was being built. My father, he's African-American and Native American as well. And when my mother and him met, they were both followers of Jesus. But as can happen with many, they kind of lost their way through a lot of different circumstances and things that came up. And that was a result. And my mother, as a young, I was born when she was 24. So as a young 23-year-old, she didn't really know what to do in regards to becoming a a mother. You know, a single Afro-Latina in the U.S. by herself was a lot. But she prayed and she felt Jesus, she felt the Holy Spirit say to her, Paula, if you give this child to me, I'll look after him and you the rest of your days. And so I was dedicated before I was born to the Lord. And we have seen wild supernatural things since that point. And it was a big deal for her when she raised me as a single mom. It was a big deal for her to make sure I knew who I was and that God had a calling in my life. It was also important because of the importance of being Black in America. Mm -hmm. It was really important for me to understand the people that came before me. Our ancestors, our ancestry and education are really big things in our household. And so she instilled that in me at a very young age. It was very difficult for me growing up being what we call multi-ethnic black, because a lot of people would hear my story and they would say, well, tell me who you are. And when I shared, they just couldn't believe it. They would say things like, you can't be African American and indigenous. You can't be you can't have all these different nations in you. You got to pick one or the other. And I'm glad that my mother and my grandparents set a good foundation for me to say that's not what you should do. But it was still a lot for me to constantly be told, you can't really be fully who you are. It's either either or.
1: Yeah. And you grew up in yep. the Deep South.
0: Deep South. Yeah.
1: And to put it lightly, there's a lot of need for racial reconciliation. Basically growing up in the neighborhood of yeah. Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a big deal, too. So there's a lot of history yeah. and a lot of current yeah.
0: disruption. Whole bunch.
1: Has that been why you are always leaning into these conversations of reconciliation? Because when you and I talk, that's that's what we talk about, right? Yeah. Every time I'm sitting with you, I am always enriched by this deep historical lessons of things that I have never heard in those ways. I, I find it extremely helpful but I realize this isn't just because you've read a lot of books. You read a lot of books. I do. You are I'm a, a walking book dragon. <laughs> you're kind of a walking encyclopedia, but I feel like you're embodying it in a way because this is your real experience.
0: You're right. When you carry multiple things, you have to find ways to synergize it and to bring it together. And yeah. so for me, I'm a reader. I'm a book dragon, bookworm, but I also read books because they help me to understand more about the world around me. And when you want to be a bridge builder, when you want to connect cultures. You have to understand as much as possible where things are and how they could link up.
1: So let's bring you back to that little boy, mixed races, multiple historical lines that you're you're trying to synergize together. How did you come to understand yourself and embrace all of those things?
0: Right. I think the biggest thing that helped me to understand was elders. And I hope everyone out there listening, I really hope you catch this you can't go spaces that you haven't already gone to in your mind or that you haven't seen people before you go to. Because I had elders, grandparents, and great-grandparents who went before me and told me who I was, it helped me to know that I didn't have to fit in spaces 100%. Didn't mean it was easy. And just to be clear, um, as part of my background growing up, my mother was a single mom at the time in the 90s. And at that time, when she was going to uh, medical school, she, they didn't think she was going to make it in, but she ended up making in and graduating top of her class into uh, medical school. She's an OBGYN doctor, and growing up was an adventure. When I grew up, I ended up living with my mom and my grandparents and my great-grandparents, several generations in one household for three years. And um, I can tell you this, as a single child, in your adolescence, I was, I was, the, the time was third grade to fifth grade where I lived with my grandparents and great-grandparents and my mom. I would go to my friend's house and while my friends would talk about video games and cartoons and play football outside, I'd be looking through their family uh, photo albums. Because what I noticed for them was that they had a complete family. They had a mother and a father in the same home. I, however, felt awkward bringing them to my house because they would wonder, wait a minute, you're a single child. You have no siblings and a whole bunch of old people in this household. (laughs) It wasn't until I got older that I started to really realize how much of a significant investment that was to understand how normal it was to talk about your grandparents and your great-grandparents and having multiple generational stories put inside you mm. so that you could comprehend being in spaces that just couldn't handle where you were. When my grandmother taught me about how, how she traveled from Panama to the U.S. to get her education and how she had to deal with people telling her growing up that she couldn't be fully who she was. It helped me to really understand where I fit. The way I also handled some of those difficulties was, of course, through reading. One of the things that my grandparents always encouraged was reading. And so there was always a whole bunch of books around the house. I remember at a young age reading books that showed pictures of Native Americans that had my skin tone. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. whether it be uh, many people on the plains, plains Native Americans, or uh, Native Americans in Southeastern... Florida, it was normal to see visually how people looked. And it was normal for us to hear stories of different cultures that came together to help people out. So I had some sense of balance, but again, when you're, you're an adolescent, a teen, they can be vicious. And it was mm. very frustrating to see people attack. So I want to be clear it wasn't an easy thing to know that I didn't have the fit. It took me a Several years to start realizing that I wasn't going to change, that people saw me.
1: Would it be fair to say, as you hear stories from Panama, as you hear stories from North America, from your ancestors, as, as you, you, you've done a lot of traveling, you've done archive digging, yeah. you've done, gone to historical genealogy museums, a lot of genealogy, you've looked at books, you have an unsatiated desire to understand? Story. Yeah. Would you say that as you discovered these stories, more and more of those pieces of the puzzle were being resolved within you?
0: Mm-hmm. And I forgot to mention it earlier, but to that point, one of the things that helped to bring those stories together was to have a template. And biggest template in my life was Jesus. My mother was very passionate. My grandmother was very passionate for helping me understand who Jesus was. And one of the things they always told me was to read the Bible on his own terms. When I read the Bible and saw Jesus' genealogy and the stories the people that were in it, you couldn't help but see reconciliation. I grew up seeing Bible stories at an early age, seeing the stories of people like Ruth, Mm -hmm. who um, was a Moabite and the great-grandmother of David. I read stories about how Jesus had Canaanite roots via Rahab, who was also a prostitute, and yet she was used to save uh, Israel. I was reading stories about people in the line of Jesus who weren't Jewish, but they were still used by God to do great things. And those DNA stories was what got my attention. I saw a multi-ethnic savior, not just someone who came to save the world from sin, but someone that carried different stories in him and had to reconcile that.
1: How have you found Jesus in your different stories and ethnicities?
0: Honestly, I think what's interesting is that I have found that Jesus understood what it was to make room to make a new table when there's no room in the tables that exist. He turned over tables like we know. And that was a big deal for me to see how Jesus was very fierce in helping mm-hmm. people see God's heart for the nations. He was fierce in showing the heart of God for the Samaritans. Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans, like John 4 says. But Jesus didn't go around Samaria. He went straight through. <laughs> and then on top of that, he sat down with a woman who was going through a lot of stuff herself. And when I saw Jesus growing up, what I saw was he understood stories coming together with cultures and he understood people in the midst of those stories. For me, I wasn't just a young person having different ethnicities in my family tree. I was a young person who wanted to have significance.
1: Don't we all?
0: Right, you know? Yeah. And, it, when we, and for me, I felt growing up, I was thankful that Jesus showed himself to me and helped me to know I'm not just concerned for how you have different stories in your background. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for you knowing that I have a calling in your life. That got spoken over me repeatedly by others in my life that said, God's going to use you. Don't forget who you are. Know that you went through the circumstances you went through to prepare you for the spaces you're going into.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. There's a, I think Martin Luther, you can correct me because you, you know these things. Um, to know more of yourself is to know more about God. To know more about God is to know more about yourself. It's just about reconciliation is a buzzword, right? It, and, it is and, a buzzword. And, everybody, and so, loves so, it. everybody loves Everybody loves <laughs> it. it. It's the right thing to say. Yeah, yeah it, it's the right thing to say. However, do you think it's possible to really be an agent of reconciliation if you haven't reconciled yourself to God and to yourself, your right. own identity? Ooh,
0: that's a fierce. That's a fierce question. A good question. Um, I agree that you really can't do any reconciliation or connect the way that God wants. If you don't know who you are, I think sometimes we, is a buzzword because people like to talk about it as a way of distracting themselves from actually addressing who they are.
1: And know? I think there's a lot of pseudo reconciliation. Yeah, it looks whole right. Whole let's right. handshake. Let's, let's, let's just be <laughs> let's kind. wash feet
0: together in services and not talk about what we're really going through. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And not really see each other because it's, it's actually it's dangerous to know yourself, is it not? Yeah. Weren't there points? I'm talking from my own experience. As I get to know myself, it's dangerous work because now I have to face not only my own things hidden away that I'd rather not expose. I have to be real with that. But I also have to be real with my history, with the things of my past, the grief, whether either side of history, whether you're the dominators, the oppressors, or the oppressed. You got to deal, with, gotta deal that, with that. those stories because that is part of who I am.
0: The good and the bad.
1: <laughs> that's hard work, man. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's what Jesus carried with them. When you look at his family tree in Luke chapter, um, I believe, three and Matthew one. There were a lot of crazy characters. It wasn't just oh, yeah. David. There was... Um,
1: well, David was a crazy character.
0: Mm-hmm, who murdered, you know, another man who was one of his good friends just to get his wife. And the scriptures in Jesus' genealogy... They make, my mom used to me all the time. She said, Gabe, remember, it didn't say that Solomon, it didn't call Bathsheba Solomon's wife. It says she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Because no matter what happened, God made certain that every generation was going to remember the mess that happened. And that's what she had to tell me a lot with knowing who you are. You have to accept the good that your ancestors brought and the bad Mm -hmm. and see how God worked through it if you're going to really know how you can work through making bridges today. And that's a rough space to be, You know, I I think that it's hard for a lot of people, myself included, to reconcile if we want to have a rosy past.
1: But I look at you and I I think you're a person who has done a lot of deep work. Yeah. But then I also say it's kind of unfair. Mm. And let me get to it. Yeah. Because you had to.
0: Had had no choice. I feel like (laughs) me
1: sitting as a whitey across from you. Yeah. I had a choice to. Yeah. I had the privilege to. But when you're a racial minority or you're a person that is on the oppression side of history, it's hard work and hard. you don't have a choice. I guess you do in some ways, but it doesn't always end well.
0: Yeah. but Trauma response. I trauma guess.
1: response. Exactly. Whereas I could check out.
0: It was difficult. You can just go ahead and have a good day.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or dip my toe in it. That was hard. And come back out and say, okay, check the box. Check the box. I've done that. Yeah. Been there, done that. Now I'm going to go on my way and enjoy the privilege that I've been born into. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not going to be harping on my heritage and the people that have white privilege. But all that to say is we're challenged to actually do the deep work because here's the thing. I know there's... I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but this is my little soapbox here. No, no. Reconciliation, it's not just about you and your past being set free or yeah. the indigenous peoples within Canada, North America, Turtle Island. As we pursue reconciliation, you know what? I didn't realize how much I needed reconciliation, how much it's, it's mutual. It's mutual. And it's not because I'm i am pursuing reconciliation for a selfish motive, but I'm realizing how tied and connected we are as people. Yeah. Like, we need it. We (laughs) We all need it.
0: We need it. We need to recognize that we're all in need of healing on some level. Even the people that do jacked up stuff and evil things are doing those things because they don't know who they are. And they don't know who others are. If someone really knew who you and I were meant to be when they did evil things to us, they would never do it. Which is why Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I can say to one of your earlier questions, one of the ways I got through so much mess was that this knowing who I was. It was knowing how to forgive or release people who didn't have the ability to see me at that point. Wow. I remember someone told me in my, younger, in my youth, you have to let go of their bitterness from failed expectations because a lot of times people can't keep up if they haven't been taught. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't freed yourself from feeling, you have to prove who you are to people then you, you put harm on yourself. And that's what helped me to really survive as, a young, as an adolescent. I had to learn to realize that people are not going to understand fully if they haven't been forced to do that deep work you mentioned. Mm. Give a more practical example of that. While my mother was born in Panama, and multiple generations of my family lived there, our roots are also from the West Indies. Barbados, Jamaica, my great-grandfather, who I grew up with, he was born in Barbados, but he was Scottish. And growing up, I had to learn at an early age when people weren't really so happy about multiracial or multiethnic marriages, interracial marriages, I had to learn at an early age to celebrate the fact that my great-grandfather was white and his wife, my great-grandmother, was black.
1: Mm. I
0: had to learn how to be comfortable with that if people weren't used to it. And I couldn't be comfortable as long as I was trying to constantly prove to them it was acceptable. So the things I'm passionate for, I'm passionate because I've learned to actually take that stuff with me, whether people like right. it or not. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No,
1: that's, that's really good. Yeah. yeah.
0: Trying to keep it as simple as possible. Because some people, they can sometimes be passively, they think they're slick, but they, they can be passively or <laughs> um, racist. Like, wow, I really think you're, you're just so enthusiastic. They talk about their history and they're saying, well, they'd say, well, this is what we do because we got to know where we come from. I talk about it. It's so uncomfortable for them. They have to say, oh, that's just, he's just passionate for it. As opposed to saying, no, he's he's doing this because he actually is aware of who he is.
1: Yeah, no, that's really good because that's act of reconciliation, right? Right. You're bringing the, the history into the present and right. it, it's got to connect with the other side. It has to. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's just cute.
0: And that's how it, sometimes it felt. It felt like people, some people in the spaces I was in, like your majority white spaces, Yeah, the, you know, you talk about reconciliation like pseudo-reconciliation, they would talk about diversity being the goal. Whereas I sat there saying we have all this diversity, but we're still afraid to talk about a black experience mm-hmm. <laughs> in a white context yeah. or a native experience. And when I brought it up, the same people that talk about reconciliation would flip and say it was cute and then say, don't be divisive. And I had to learn how to push against that instead of just going with the grain.
1: Well, reconciliation is disruption. I think we often have a, an idea that reconciliation is like kumbaya and let's hold hands and let's hug, right. you know, and, and hopefully there is some moments within that. But actually, reconciliation is disruptive because we have to break the norms of what we our, our patterns. We have to break the systems that have held people in, in oppression break the systems that hold others in oppression, that we're active oppressors without even knowing it. Reconciliation is disruption.
0: And it's a big deal to know how that disruption plays out. I think what you said is really key because we were talking about it recently. If you're not comfortable being disruptive, you won't disrupt anything. And you can't disrupt just trying to focus on stuff outside. You have to do it from an authentic space. Because there are some people that are called by God to start the conversation. And there are some people that are called by God to keep things stabilized. It doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. wrong, but we have different callings. I had to learn at an early age, the things I'm called to talk about aren't comfortable conversations because they're not common conversations. Right. Like Jeremiah, sometimes you think, God, why am I the only one? I don't want to keep talking about this. I, I, I'm tired of talking about the, uh, the state being corrupted. He kept talking though, Yeah. but he cried a lot because he didn't have the same calling.
1: Well, let's talk about the elephant in the sanctuary. Yeah. What is it that, that sets you off within churches. I'm not talking just a rant, and you just wanting to to go off on your little right. reconciliation <laughs> spiel. I'm like, come right. on, guys, let's let's go into yeah. reason.
0: Hashtag, hashtag. Yeah,
1: hashtag, hashtag. Yeah. But what is it within a congregation or a, a, the church in general? Yeah, that we're like, why aren't we talking about this? We're seeing the elephant in the sanctuary, but it's not being talked about. What is it that you've you've experienced in in the church? Because you love the church. Let's be yeah. clear.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that Gets me frustrated Mm -hmm. (laughs) is seeing people talk about the love of Jesus, but not walking in love when it comes to justice (laughs) or issues of reconciliation. For example, when I see people saying that God wants us to change the world, but they don't say a word about the things that were done in the name of God to First Nations communities, Native communities, that bugs me because so much has been done historically that was. Committed in the name of Jesus.
1: Okay, as your white settler friend, I'm, I'll be devil's advocate. Sure. That's, that's in the past. That's not my church. I, I don't have mm-hmm. that. I don't come from that denomination.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that, Wendy. So let me go ahead and let <laughs> me
1: just go to add fuel to the <laughs> yeah, fire here. Yeah. Cause <laughs>
0: Cause I, I, so, good thing I, we're I, good I, I, friends. I see some, I, 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 you know, some folks do that stuff, so we're going to cut that out of the past today. When someone says, well, that's just in the past, but then they require me to go back in the past to learn my nation's history, that's disingenuous. For example, everyone saying, well, that's in the past, you should leave it alone, still references history. As far as I know the Canadian context, they still reference treaties. They still reference the history of how Canada was established. They require me to go into the past. What they don't want is to talk about a past that they were not comfortable with. So you can't have both. Yeah. It's like the same thing in regards to saying, well, God's not concerned for the past. Really? Because when I read the Old Testament... My preacher starts coming out, y'all, so just bear with me. When I read the Old <laughs> Testament, I see Deuteronomy. I see Moses telling the children of Israel, I believe in Deuteronomy 7 onward. He says, whenever you remember the things that happened, tell them to your children, tell them to your grandkids, don't let your family forget that you and all of us were once slaves in Egypt. Don't forget where you come from. That was said repeatedly throughout the Torah. It was said repeatedly, remember where you come from so that you can understand where you're going. Jesus referenced the past every time he referenced scripture. He went mm-hmm. back to the patriarchs in regards to where he was from. So when Christians tell me that's in the past, I know they don't really want to understand history mm-hmm. because they're going to tip me back to the past whenever that's comfortable for them. And it's not about saying let's address everything that was done in the past. It's saying address what has still impacting us today. Yeah. Another simpler way of saying that forget who said it, but Native American, we're not holding people accountable for the things that white men did 500 years ago for holding you accountable for any of the systems they created that you still benefit from and you don't wanna change.
1: Well, I think that's what makes it, I'll talk as a settler, that's what makes it harder to go into those stories because once I know, what am I gonna do with it? Because then once I heard it, it's not just, oh, that's what happened in the past. How are we creating a different way forward that we can journey in a good way. So we're not perpetuating that. So there is justice and equality. There is honoring of the people that have come before us because I have also heard, and as a settler, we came invited to this land on treaty land, close Mm -hmm. after the treaties were were formed to farm. They weren't the colonizers, but here's my challenge though. As soon as we stepped off the boat, it's a fine line to become line. colonizing mm-hmm. because we have benefited mm-hmm. off of that. How do we treat our brothers and sisters on our land? So even there, as invited guests on this land to settle here, and granted, there's a lot of good things. Every good. Everybody's created in the image of God. However, how quick a line it comes when we get step off the boat to become colonizers. Yeah, We're not off the hook. No,
0: you're not off the hook. And I think that's the thing that we have to keep in mind. Knowing those genealogical stories and our family histories can help us to see the examples of what should have been done and what should not have been done so that we have a good template. I think a lot of times for people that have settler narratives in their ancestry, it's important to also find the people that understood what it means to be a guest Mm -hmm. because they both existed. And unfortunately for the settlers that got off that boat, and it went from being guests to if y'all know the phrase being ratchet Mm. (laughs) and then saying they were victims crossing the boundaries the people already here when you understand uh, how that played out you can address it in real time because those mindsets didn't just stay there they still exist today saying to people I want to celebrate my uh, Acadian history you know the Acadians in Nova Scotia for example that's awesome until you start denying others the right to celebrate their own First Nations history if it makes you uncomfortable You have to realize if someone who does that says, well, that's in the past, you have to realize, no, that mindset of trying to control what we can and can't speak about is a settler mindset. Yeah. And whether we like it or not, we have to address that and allow people to share the stories that you may not know about so that you can get the healing you need.
1: Well, and that's the the adventure of it. It, it yeah. really is an adventure to understand your stories. It is. I, I watched you in Nova Scotia when we were at the last Nate Symposium last year. You have roots here. Yep. Can you, in very brief terms, explain, like, what the heck were you doing in Nova Scotia and how did you find an uncle there?
0: Well, it was funny. Cousin, actually. Or cousin, and, yes. It was the way that happened, as simply as I can say it. Again, you know I'm passionate for genealogy, and I— um, had mapped out our, the, the family made me the family historian.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so I had to map out our whole family tree.
1: You're my historian now. Yeah. <laughs> for future reference. You have <laughs> already I checked out my DNA's uh, profiles and things like that. We're going there. Love
0: it. I love, history is for healing. It yeah. really is. And um, mapping out our family tree was a work by itself. Just to verify some things that we were told orally, I went and did several uh, DNA testing companies and I noticed on one of the maps where relatives are around the world Mm. there on the map it said i had a relative an ancestor actually in nova scotia i had no plans of going to nova scotia i thought man i would love to find out more about that and the nates conference was happening that year it was my first time being invited to go in person i didn't know how i was going to go because at that point i didn't have a job but i felt led by the holy spirit to go I had a dream about it, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go on faith. So I went, went to the Nates conference. One of the leaders there sat me down by a man who who I didn't know was being honored that day. I shared my story and said, I would love to find out more about this ancestor. And he said, let me see your DNA profile. And he and I were both amazed because that ancestor was actually one of his grand elders. (laughs) Mm. And it was on my father's side that we were connected. And we got the disconnect that time.
1: So Nova Scotia is connected to the Deep South.
0: Very much so. Yeah. Very much See, so. See, I
1: didn't know that. You, you taught me that last year.
0: I had no idea about it two or three years ago with how extensive the history is. For those listening, go check out the Black Loyalist Heritage Museum in Shelburne, Nova Scotia. You can also go to Nova Scotia yourself because for that history, in the U.S., there was something called the Underground Railroad. Slavery was still being practiced, and African Americans and those who were Afro-Native, African and Native American mixed, they were trying to find freedom. The African Americans who served the British in the American Revolution and later in the War of 1812 went up to Canada, and Nova Scotia was the space where the majority of them landed. Many of them were welcomed by the First Nations Mi'kmaq. They were welcomed, and they had intermarriage just like African-Americans had intermarriage with Southeastern Native American communities. My family history were the gullas. They traveled up and they went to Nova Scotia. And I was blown away when I got there and saw all this, rich inter, all, this all these rich intercultural stories and bridge building that even Canadians did not know about. And it, it blew me away to realize so much was already there for me to discover. And I didn't know it, but I was still called to discover it. Yeah. And my experiences prepared me to handle those stories, because if I had not known about my own multi-ethnic heritage, I would have been thrown off. I would have felt like, there's not enough room to carry this. How do we have Canadian <laughs> How do I have Canadian ancestry mm-hmm. and ancestry in the U.S? Because of what I went through? I didn't have, that wasn't a question to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. I wrestled with the fact that you could have people from multiple spaces. And I saw in that experience, groups that came together and had their history dismissed.:
1: Yeah.
0: I found it from my cousin, Reverend uh, Lynette Anderson, who pastors one of the churches, the 19 historical black churches established by the refugees that came up. He uh, told me that a lot of Canadians don't know that history because they talked about reconciliation, but they put their toe into it. They didn't. It was easy to say our, our ancestors settled here and we made treaty and, you know, we have been fair and just. It was a whole different thing to say a lot of your ancestors ended up going against people <laughs> in spaces. They still practice slavery right, in the Maritimes. And the Afro-Nova Scotian story is a story that goes against this narrative. To be blunt, it goes against the narrative that white people are innocent. Mm-hmm. It goes against the narrative that settlers had nothing to repent of. And it goes against the narrative that says, because we did a lot of good things, it outweighs the bad that happened. Savorism. And that's the term you yep. say? yeah. For me, I came alive because I always thought it was just people in the regions my family grew up in that went through this. I had no idea in Nova Scotia they were going through the same exact thing. Our ancestors had parallel experience at the same time. And I was sent there on mission by the Lord. I was sent Mm -hmm. to uncover that story and bring it back with me.
1: That's beautiful. But for everyday people, we're all in this journey. yeah. Whether we're brave enough to take the next step or not. But what would you say are some good next steps for people that are wanting to go on this adventure to understand the good, bad, the ugly of their own history and understand who they are?
0: I think one good next step, find out who is in your family tree. That's uncomfortable work, but it's critical because I really think that stories tend to repeat themselves. Good ones, generational blessings, whether you like them or not, you have blessings that you were given. And you also have some curses or some baggage that was also passed down. And so knowing your family tree, your family resume will help you, will help us to know what we're dealing with. When it comes to addressing settler colonialism, one of the best things to undo all of that is to not just find the people that did damage so you can acknowledge it, is find the people that called it out. There's always there a remnant. There's always a, a prophetic yeah. voice yeah. in every generation calling stuff out. Finding those histories helps us give an example for how we move forward.
1: It, it provides a, a truer narrative, right? Yeah.
0: Someone told me, whether you like it or not, you had a grandmother, a great-grandmother, an elder that passed on that has prayed. They prayed for you to be in where you are now. When I got to Nova Scotia and I connected our stories across the waters, I you realized someone- alive. Right. My, my, my cousin told me to the actual church where you pastors, and he showed me my family's name in the church foundation stone. And I sat there realizing someone in my family tree prayed for this reconnection when we got separated because of slavery. They prayed for that to happen. And so my desire for understanding genealogy is not a random desire. It's something I cultivated, but it came from before me because there's a calling that comes with the stuff that puts that's on your heart. And I think that helps people to be at peace as well. When your desire to study, to know your history, is not something that came out of nowhere. There was somebody in your tree (laughs) who had that same calling and they prayed it into
1: Probably you. Probably my dad. Probably, yeah,
0: right. <laughs> Your father too, he had, they prayed it over you. They spoke it into you. We need to know that. Yeah. Well, and some of those next steps, I will say this also, part of the next step. Fragility, go ahead and prepare yourself to take some licks, to get bruised, and keep it going. Discipline, don't despise the Lord's discipline. It's a popular verse I heard growing up. The way that I saw it is that as an athlete, you go through physical discipline to train your body to win a race. It doesn't always feel good. But training is what is necessary to win. So I think for those who want to win at this thing called reconciliation, they have to train themselves to be uncomfortable.
1: And expect it from people you love.
0: Yeah, expect it. We have a phrase down South called not all skin folk are kin folk. Mm. It really is true. I didn't mention it earlier, but sometimes the greatest amount of harassment I got, it actually wasn't from white folks. It was from other black and brown folks who also felt that I couldn't be multi-ethnic in my identity. You are going to have some people mad at you. If you take the challenge this week, you're going to have some folks mad at you. You may have some family conversations that lead to some distance. Accept it. Part of doing the work of reconciliation is not just accepting the pain that you'll be rejected. It's accepting the pain that sometimes you're going to have to take some time to find some new people.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's been a healing thing for me to realize that not everyone is your tribe. I came to Canada to find my tribe, fam. And I'm amazed from Nates to you and so many others. It was amazing to come to Nova Scotia. It wasn't just meeting my cousin Nova Scotia. It was meeting people who didn't know I needed to be spoken into and lifted up to be told, God sent you here.
1: Well, and to be honest, I found my tribe in you and the other people in the Nates community. And I'm, I'm a minority and I'm not trying to pretend to be indigenous or black right, or anything. Right. But there's an affinity there of seekers of the truth seekers of reconciliation, seekers that have taken the hits before and we're banding together. And it's not a combative gathering of like festering these right. deep wounds. It's actually of healing and growth and loving creator God yeah. in all our authentic self. All
0: of it. It's real. It's real. And it's, it's it's going to continue. I think we go through things that we don't realize God is allowing us to go through, creator is allowing us to go through because he has people like us <laughs> that are coming in. And he has to put us in a position to let them know, you're not crazy. Yeah, You're not crazy. Like Joseph being sent ahead, he went through a lot of hell mm-hmm. to be prepared for a 30-year journey in the future where God will use him to protect his own people and Egypt from a famine. He did not know that until he got to the end of the line to realize, God sent me through my experiences. Yeah, And now we're here. It's the same for all of us out there today. You may have pain, you may have difficulties, but That's part of the work.
1: It's like planting the sequoia tree now. Yeah. For generations to come. Yeah. So that they can enjoy the shade and keep planting seeds.
0: Keep planting. Right?
1: There's a lot of work to be done. Well, Gabriel... This has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know I'm going to be taking you to the airport later, but I hope this isn't our last time. Yeah. Uh, I know we're we're going to keep the conversations going, but thank you so much for coming on Journey With Care.
0: Thank you. It's been a privilege. Love y'all guys. You're awesome.
1: Thanks for listening to the Journey With Care podcast, where paths connect over real life stories and honest conversations. We hope you continue to join us on this journey of faith, reconciliation, and loving our neighbor. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church across Canada to effectively journey in community with children and families in hard places. Learn how Care Impact is transforming the way churches engage child welfare with our Care Portal technology and academy training. To support this podcast or learn more about us, go to careimpact.ca or follow us in the show notes. We're so glad you are part of this journey with us as we journey with care, even in the messy. Until next time.